Content Advisory. This interview contains sexual references and references to eating disorders, dysphoria, and bodily identity integrity disorder. Radio. Marriage and Gender Identity. An interview with Monica Dumit in the lead up to Australia's 2016 federal election. So I'm joined today by Monica Dumit from Catholic Talk. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me here, Luke. No worries. Um, This time we're going to be talking about uh, marriage and gender identity. In this series, I'm looking to to look at a number of issues uh, that especially affect the church's teaching, uh, especially affect us as Catholics uh, and what we believe and what we believe about society. Um, But this time we're looking at, as I said, marriage and sexual identity. So first of all, just to kind of give us, um, I guess, a basic introduction to the church's teaching on marriage and sexual identity. Okay. Um, of course. Well, the church uh, teaches and has always taught that marriage is the union of a man and a woman uh, for life and also ordered towards the creation of children. And so that's really key to the church's understanding of marriage. We believe that marriage is an image of God's love for humanity and is an image of the Trinity. So the idea of the love between the father and the son is so great that it's generative that communion of love that is also life-giving. And that's why for Catholics, the procreation of children is essential to marriage. If a, you know, a man and a woman went to the Catholic Church and said, we want to get married, but we have no intention of having children, then they're not actually allowed to get married in the Catholic Church. I'm not sure that that's something people are really aware of. But a heterosexual couple who has no intention of having children would not be allowed into, to be married in the Catholic Church. So the idea of marriage between a man and a woman, but ordered towards the raising of a family and the raising of a family in the Catholic faith is crucially important. And that's because the idea is it's modelled on the love of God for humanity. That's what marriage is supposed to give us a glimpse glimpse of. So we're also seeing um, in the lead up to this election, one of the big issues um, is with regards to teaching children uh, about sexual identity and I guess this term um, gender fluidity. Um, So what is the church's teaching on that? Okay, well, so, yeah, the idea in these programs is you tell children or really tell anybody that their biology does not define what gender they are and so that biologically you might be male but internally you might feel something different. Uh, The church's teaching goes on that goes really back to our understanding of the human person. And we say that the human person is a unity of body and soul. And that really is a, um, a uniquely Christian idea, the unity of the human person as body and soul. Uh, other religions believe that the human person is just, just a soul and not a body. So a Hindu would say that your body is just a vehicle in which you live out your karma. And, so, and the human person is actually just a soul. Buddhism would say that the human person is neither body nor soul and that essentially you're just an illusion and you proceed towards enlightenment to understand that. Uh, Atheists will say that the human person is just matter. It's just the atoms that make them up. Um, But Christianity and Catholicism talk about a unity of body and soul and that the two of them aren't separate. The idea of gender fluidity, the idea of somebody being transgender and saying that, no, my soul is different from my body is something that we would reject on that basis because what we want to tell people is, no, your body is good, your soul is good, they're not in conflict, they're united to make up who you are. 
It's an affirmation of you, body and soul. And the idea of telling somebody that the two can be in conflict is something that is something that we don't want to do. And we can see that sometimes in, in other examples where people say that their biology is different to um, the way that they feel. So somebody with an eating disorder, for example, and I apologize to your listeners, I know this is a really tough topic and, and maybe some of you have struggled with this, but you don't see you know, a woman struggling with anorexia. She says, no, 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 I feel fat. You don't agree with her on that. That's not the best thing for her. No, you say the best thing for her is you say, no, you bring your mind in into connection with what your what the biological reality is. Uh, there are people out there who are born completely able and, and things like that. There was a woman in America not long ago uh, who willingly blinded herself because she had this feeling that she should have been born blind. We would look at, look at her and say, look, no, what you need is you need some counselling, you need some assistance. You shouldn't go out and we, we would condemn a doctor who decided to blind her in the same way that she was just, her emotions were rejecting her biology, the same way people with confused gender identity. We, we don't underestimate that that's a very real struggle that they're having, but we just don't think that the best way to assist them is to affirm that and to give them drugs or surgery that would change that. The idea of, of bringing that confusion to our children, to our young people who are already so confused and you know, in times of growing up and so many things to learn, we, we would just say that, that that's not what's best for them. It's not affirming their dignity. It's not helpful. So with regards to both of these issues, both uh, marriage and gender or sexual identity, um, these issues have come up quite a bit in the lead up to this election mm-hmm. and both parties have changed um, since the last election. So do you want me, when I say both parties, I mean the Liberal Party and the Australian Labor Party. Um, you can speak about other parties if you wish. Um, but how have they, uh, I guess, what, what are they bringing to this election and what are they saying that they will do if they uh, either form government or a, a big influence on the uh, formed government at the next election? Sure. So uh, the, your listeners might recall that uh, in the last few years we had the promise by then Prime Minister Tony Abbott that there would be a national vote on the issue of the redefinition of marriage, that the subject would be put to the people in the form of a national plebiscite. The, the Liberal Coalition Party under, under Malcolm Turnbull has agreed to maintain that stance, and so a coalition win would mean that the, the Australian public would get a vote in the form of a national plebiscite. Um, Malcolm Turnbull said that that could even happen before the end of this year, but we don't know for timing yet. Do you mind, sorry, explaining what exactly a plebiscite is in contrast to a referendum, say? Absolutely. So a plebiscite is a vote by every person enrolled to vote in Australia. So if you're eligible to vote in the federal election, you'll also be eligible to vote in the plebiscite. Um, it, will, it will be a compulsory vote, so you'll have to go to the polls. A referendum is something specifically required to change the constitution of Australia. So constitution from 1900 when Australia became a federation uh, is a very specific document and changes to that are taken very seriously and so the so a referendum is required to make amendments to the constitution and there is a high standard for that you have to get not only the majority of people in Australia but also the majority of people in the majority of the states so the curve over which you have to 
get to to pass a referendum is quite high. A plebiscite parliament in legislation can set the vote and the level of the vote that they require, depending on the question that they're asking. But I'm pretty sure that for the marriage vote, it's just going to be a straight 50% across the um, across the population of Australia. That won't automatically change the law, but what that will do is that will give Parliament an indication of where the Australian people are at, and from everything that's been said, Parliament will follow the result of that plebiscite. Mm. And how about the uh, current opposition, the Australian Labor Party? Okay, so the Australian Labor Party under Bill Shorten has said that if uh, the Australian Labor Party is elected, then there will be no national plebiscite, there'll be no national vote, but Labor will introduce legislation to change the definition of marriage in its first 100 days of Parliament. So if Labor goes in on July 2, sort of before the end of the year, that legislation will be in Parliament. They can't, they can't predict an outcome on what that will be. Um, I'm sh- I know that they're confident that the definition of marriage will change if they do that. But we don't know who's going to be elected in terms of individual politicians at this election. We don't know what their views are. And if there is a vote in Parliament after this election, both parties will have a conscience vote. So the Liberal Party have said for the first time they will, they will have their politicians giving a conscience vote. Same with Labor. So we don't know what will happen with conscience vote because we don't know how, who our new politicians are going to be. Um, but that's, that's the difference between the two. Um, one of the big things that's been um, spoken about is the Safe Schools Program. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been the positions of the Liberal and Labor parties on that? So the program, it came out in Victoria originally and then was rolled out nationally about 12 months ago. So it still is largely a Victorian program. It, it is national, but most of the schools that have signed up are from Victoria just because it had started there a while earlier. Um, both governments, both federal governments have provided funding to it, but earlier in this year, some of the content of the of the Safe Schools Program, some of the really troubling content was made public and discussed in federal parliament. There was a bit of an inquiry and what happened is a lot of a lot of the controversial content, or at least some of the controversial content, was pulled out of it because I guess what some of the things that they were saying in this Safe Schools Program was talking about the gender fluidity idea, but also directing students to sites which would, you know, teach them how to make sex toys or how to, you know, wrap their chests for girls and things like that, things that are they're actually quite dangerous, and also teaching them how to hide their web browser history from their parents. And so not only was it trying to provide the children with information, but also trying to separate them and separate them from having these discussions with their parents and really excluding the parents from the sexual education of the children. And I think that that really disturbed a lot of people Mm. because I think that parents really do want to say about what's happening with their children and when they're learning about sex, who they're learning it from and what they're learning and that that should be an open discussion. I think too often we see that separating parents from those types of decisions and those types of emotions in a child's life can expose the child to any number of risks because there's not there's not anybody that they're seeking to be honest with about all of that stuff so those types of things became public and so the federal government stripped out some of the some of the content of the safe schools program um 
the Victorian Andrews government, so the state government in Victoria, has said that they will provide the full program and it will be compulsory in Victorian state schools from 2018 onwards. Uh, the Labor government is supportive of the Safe Schools program. And so I think that there was a, a comment from um, Mr Shorten along the lines of the opposition to it is homophobic and bigoted and things like that. And so really seeing any opposition to the program as an attack on the, the students who identify as LGBT rather than the methods in which the Safe Schools program has come in. Uh, what they will do with it after the election, I'm not really certain on, but uh, the I think the idea is that the coalition government will keep a stripped out version of it. Not entirely sure about what Labor will do and whether they'll reinstate the parts that, uh, that Victoria has. Mm-hmm. Now, with regards to both of these issues, something that's come up um, is religious uh, religious freedom, uh, religious liberty, and I guess just in general freedom of conscience mm-hmm. um, in terms of, say, Catholic schools um, and their, I guess, right, current right to object to, um, to teaching that marriage is anything other than between a man and a woman, for example. Um, this, of course, the situation that we're in at the moment and discussions about gender identity, uh, homosexuality and changing of the definition of marriage um, are things that... I guess, do affect um, Catholic schools and just people who are religious or, or people who support the current definition of marriage in general um, are potentially targeted as a result of this. Um, I think, I, I believe there was something about um, a Labor uh, anti-discrimination commissioner or something specifically devoted to LGBTI issues, for example. I guess maybe you could... <laughs> I'm not the one giving the answer here, you are, so uh, perhaps you could give me um, some idea of what, what's going on with that at the moment. Sure. Okay, well, I'll start off on the, um, on the announcement of the LGBT commissioner. So, in the Australian Human Rights Commission, there are a number of different commissioners that look at different things. So, there's a sex discrimination commissioner and things like that. So there was a racial discrimination commissioner, all obviously with their specific, specific briefs. Labor have announced that if they're elected... They'll also have an LGBT commissioner whose responsibility it will be to just focus on issues of discrimination against the LGBT community. What's interesting about that is the sex discrimination commissioner already has a portfolio and a brief to look at discrimination on the basis of uh, sex, marital status, sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, pregnancy and breastfeeding. I think that, that that's sort of the purview. And so there is already a dedicated commissioner for those issues. In bringing in an LGBT commissioner to take on, I guess, half of that, what you're doing is really prioritising this issue. And this person's role will be to seek out, essentially, incidents of discrimination or perceived discrimination against people in the LGBT community. I don't want to really sound like an alarmist, but the Catholics and Christian churches more generally would be a really easy target in that portfolio because if anybody's going to say, hey, let's look to see who's discriminating against people of LGBT orientation or identity, someone's going to start looking at the faith groups, right? And so I think that that's a really interesting development and one that we will have to keep an eye on in in a Labor government if that happens. Mm-hmm. 
one of the criticisms that has been brought out uh, towards um, current anti-discrimination law, especially with regards to religious groups, the Catholic Church, for example, is that these are um, that that such uh, the Catholic Church and other religious groups have exemptions to laws, and these are framed as exemptions. Um, I guess perhaps you could. Uh, Speak about what what do these exemptions, as as they're called um, by critics, uh, actually mean, and why do they exist? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so uh, the Greens uh, a few weeks ago issued something called their Plan for Inclusive Communities, and one of the key parts of that plan is to remove all of the exemptions or so-called exemptions for religious organisations within anti-discrimination laws. Um, and you know what? It sounds really bad, doesn't it? We can be honest. The idea that religious groups somehow have exemptions from anti-discrimination laws can sound really bad. But let's take the Sex Discrimination Act, for example, because we were talking about that a little bit before. That prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex or sexual identity or orientation or gender identity or things like that. And then there is an exemption for things like the ordination of priests and ministers of religion or members of a religious order... Um, or other functions when it comes to religious observance. And then there's also an exemption for bodies established for religious purposes, um, as long as that act or practice conforms to the beliefs, doctrines, or tenets of the faith. Um, So the idea first is that if we didn't have exemptions from the Sex Discrimination Act, then the law would force us to ordain women as priests or things like that, or to have men enter the Little Sisters of the Poor that's nonsensical and so it's not really an exemption it's just that the sex discrimination act covers areas that are of importance to catholics um there's no law against discriminating against somebody as to whether or not they believe in climate change but if i went for a job at the greens for example and i said no you know i'm i'm a climate change denier and i don't think i don't believe in you know in human contribution to that type of thing, then they probably wouldn't hire me, and fair enough, because they need to be able to hire somebody who conforms with their beliefs and with their practices. But there's no law preventing them from doing that or calling that discrimination, which is why they don't need an exemption from laws to hire on behalf of their... to hire somebody who lives in accordance with their beliefs and their practices. Um, The big thing, I think, is educational institutions, and that's really where it comes into play here. So the idea that if you have somebody who is a non-Catholic or, you know, for example, if same-sex marriage was to be legalised in this country and you had a a person in a same-sex marriage who applied to be a religious education coordinator of a Catholic school or a principal of a Catholic school, whether or not the school would be allowed to deny that person employment on the basis that their lifestyle didn't fit in accordance with the teachings of the church. So... This isn't really a license for the Catholic Church or for other organisations or other religious institutions to discriminate against people just for no reason, but it's where the institution has a structure, education institute, a church or something like that that needs to operate in accordance with its beliefs so that it can maintain its identity, then that's why the exemptions. If you took out all of the exemptions... What makes a Catholic school a Catholic school? If Catholic school teachers didn't need to be Catholic, if Catholic school principals didn't need to believe in the principles of the Catholic Church or need to be Catholics themselves, then there is nothing that differentiates a Catholic school from a normal state school. 
in order for Catholic institutions to maintain their identity, they need to hire people who have that same belief and those, and those same practices, or who will at least adhere to them in public. So that's really the purpose of these exemptions, but they sound really bad, and saying that they would remove them sounds really lovely. So we just need to be clear that this isn't, this isn't something that just gives the Catholic Church license to discriminate. And for those of us who are, who are Catholic, we know that it's the church that actually calls us out of discrimination. Sometimes we can be, you know, we can feel discrimination or hatred or, you know, separateness in our hearts. And it's really the church and it's Christ who calls us out of that and calls us towards the other person to see them as a brother or sister, to see them as a child of God. And, and so I think that that's really important, that, that our faith doesn't give us license to discriminate unjustly against people, actually. Our faith is really what prevents us, I think, from discriminating unjustly. Well, thank you very much, Monica. We've covered, we've covered a lot there. And I guess this, this is a big, uh, a big situation that we're coming into uh, in the lead-up to the federal election, but one of, one of many. Um, and I guess we could direct people to the um, a vote for the voiceless statement from the Australian Catholic Bishops uh, of Australia. Um, and so I'll put a little link to that on the website, or you can just search for a vote for the voiceless, something along those lines, and that will probably bring it up. Um, so thank you very much, Monica, for joining me. Thank you, Luke. Always a pleasure. That was an interview with Monica Dumit on marriage and gender identity in the lead up to Australia's 2016 federal election. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.